So about three and a half years ago, for the first time in my life, I went church shopping, took a moment to look at our family and see where we should be worshiping, and we had a list of things that we were looking for in a congregation and a church, and uh, one of those lists, or one of those items was that God's Word was preached, and we were thankful to find that here. Um, we also were looking for a robust children's ministry. When we visited, we actually got a, a note from one of the teachers to our kids, which was impactful to us. And another one is kind of you guys, and I would look around at churches to the people that were around me, and I would, I would see if they were singing, and I would see if they were smiling on a Sunday morning, and we ended up here, and I appreciate you singing and smiling on a Sunday morning, uh, cause that doesn't happen everywhere, and not every church worships together like this church. That's a big part of why we ended up here. Um, my name is Stephen, but you probably know me better as either Rose's husband, or William Felicity or Amelia's dad. I have been, you know, all four of those people in my life have been requested, like, where's William, where's Felicity, where's Amelia, by separate people, and where is Rose? This morning, that's already been asked of me, um, so you can find them at different places, but Rose is home with Amelia, not feeling 100%, and it's frowned upon dropping them off with some of your kids in class. So she is home, not feeling 100%. Um, but we, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I went to California. Uh, when I graduated, I met Rose out there. She also went to California. When she graduated, she's from Georgia. We ended up then moving to Philadelphia together, spent some time out there. And then what better place to come back to to raise our family than Pittsburgh? Uh, so we've been back in Pittsburgh for about four years. Three plus years have been spent here at Northgate, and we do appreciate that. And it is now my pleasure to open up God's Word with you. Just now I'm looking at you in the face instead of shoulder to shoulder. Uh, but we'll be in Daniel this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and turn there. We'll take a look at Daniel chapter number 1 and 2. Uh, but really what I'd like to focus on this morning is how to gain an audience with a king. We'll look at a few different passages and passages in scripture, but how to gain an audience with a king. Daniel 1 verse number 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. For why should we see that you were in the worse condition than the youths of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king? So Daniel's going to the king specifically for something through his servant. And the servant's like, hey, listen, I'm not interested in going to the king with this. In Daniel chapter 2, it says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. So a lot of times you read through this and you just think it's the same guy that Daniel's talking. This is another guy. This is the guy with the sword. And he's going out 
to kill all of the wise men of Babylon. The reason why is because they cannot tell Nebuchadnezzar both the dream and the interpretation of it, and he is frustrated with him, so he plans on killing the wise men of Babylon. Verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And if someone was coming to kill me, I might have a similar response. Why the rush here? Uh, when Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king, the specific thing that he wanted the king, the specific thing that the king wanted. Then, we'll skip a couple verses, but Daniel goes to his friends and asks those friends to pray which is a good thing at that point because Daniel has no idea what to do unless God provides this dream and interpretation, which he does. We've gone through this in a couple other previous weeks, but verse 24 says, that Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in, therefore, or bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. My goal in the next few minutes is really to peel back a really simple truth of the pattern that we're given on how to gain an audience with a king. Say, well, I don't have a king. I thought this was taken care of about 250 years ago. Um, We don't answer to a king. Uh, But what we're going to look at today is that there are some individuals here that found themselves in situation, a situation that they made no choice towards, um, circumstances that they didn't prefer, some of them to, you know, that make that light. Um, but this could be anything from the school authority that you have to your job to relationships that you're in to actual leadership that is in your life. Daniel was compelled to speak with the king which is pretty wild in itself. He's killing possibly hundreds of men, and Daniel feels the boldness that he's the guy that can talk to the king. And Daniel saw uh, he was seeking something in which he could see great terror uh, in approaching the king from multiple different people. Um, so we take a look at this pattern. It's given in Proverbs. And if you want to turn over to Proverbs 22... Uh, it gives a pattern, um, and as we approach the king, um, we find in Proverbs 22.11, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. And then it says in verse number 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, uh, the Bible describes that out of the abundance of the heart, that's where our words come from. So we start to see some scriptures line up. And the thing that was coming out of Daniel's heart is like, let's hold on. Let's not kill everyone right away. Uh, And there's a pattern here that we'll continue to revisit. Uh, loving purity of heart, and we'll go through a lot of different uh, scripture, you know, stories of 
people that apply this, speaking gracefully and working skillfully. So looking at a pure heart, we find it very easy when our heart starts to drift away from purity to see everything that's wrong with those that are around us. So we can start to identify that the pureness of our heart has drifted away when we start to judge others greater than we judge ourselves. When we start to get frustrated with what other people are doing to us rather than our reaction to them. We start to have motives for things uh, that is not one that God would endorse. And our heart starts to deceive us. So we want to keep a, a pure heart. When we don't speak gracefully, we start to feel this moment in which we actually feel bad for what we say. Anybody ever in that? They say something they regret saying. Uh, they, they felt really good and justified in the moment. And then we go back and, man, that was not speaking gracefully. So when looking at Scripture and looking at Proverbs, what I want to make sure in my own life, and just a reminder, is that the Bible is not just your favorite life hack. Right? You, you see online, you're like, it's better to cut a vegetable this way. Or it's better to water your plants this way. Or you should make your bed this way or fold that sheet that way. And you're like, okay, fantastic. I have an easier life hack, right? And so we look at Proverbs sometimes and we're like, okay, fantastic. I got a new life hack, right? I should do these things and everything will just be a little bit easier. And so we want to make sure that we don't do that because the life hack, and for me, if I regret what I say, then... My life, my life hack is just don't say anything, right? But I would classify that more in like merciful speech. So if I'm merciful with my speech, meaning uh, you deserve something and I don't give it to you, um, that mercy. But graceful is when you don't deserve something and you receive a gift. So if I'm gracious with my speech, I'm going out of my way to speak life and goodness into those around me without them earning it, right? It's easy to compliment somebody if they've made you a good meal, but it's harder to identify good things about people if you didn't benefit from it. So finding out what gracious speech means, um, finding out that we have, you know, the power of life and death that resides within the words that we say, We can speak life into people. So grace of speech isn't just staying out of trouble. Because that's very, if I'm having a conversation with somebody, and I, man, I'm, I finally, I think of the, the thing that will make them be quiet. And instead of saying it, I just don't say it. That's not gracious speech. Gracious, gracious speech flows out of something different, a different part of us. Being giving with our words, a speaker of truth to those that are around us. And when we don't work skillfully with our hands, we start to lack confidence in our lives. And even spiritually, that's true. That we're not, when we're not skillful with our work, maybe that's a lack of attentiveness, maybe that's a, a, a laziness that creeps in, that we, if we're not skillful in our work, we lack confidence in it. And we're really not able to put our stamp of approval on it. 
anymore, maybe. Maybe others wouldn't. Maybe the king wouldn't. And we want to make sure that we're skilled at our craft. I think of those moments when somebody's skills are revealed. Some of you I know better than others, and I love that moment when we're having a conversation or when we're working together, and all of a sudden it's revealed that you have some hidden talent that I didn't know about before. And all of a sudden you become more interesting. You get more street cred in my mind, and same thing, if I came, if I did something interesting, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's like the cool uncle thing. He whips out a magic trick. You're like, oh, that guy's kind of neat. Now, there was something my grandmother would do, and she used a tool that maybe you noticed around the house growing up, or maybe one of your relatives would do this, but the tool was basically a metal disc that was welded to the end of a nail. And it would be in like the baking area of the home. Anybody know what that would have been used for? Anybody? Yeah, what? Yeah, cake decorating. She would take this nail, and then a piping bag, which is like the bag you would fill with icing, twist it, and then have like a flat nozzle uh, for the piping bag, and then she would just twist the nail, and, you know, I, it wasn't, I, I don't have that skill, but she would make these flowers that looked realistic. And then all of a sudden, my grandmother had a little bit more street cred with my, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old self. It's like, my grandmother can do something interesting. And then all of a sudden you pay attention to other things that they're doing. And one thing that she would do is, is take the dead ends off of plants. Right, to make the rest of the plant grow better. I didn't know that then. I thought she just wanted to make it look better. Now, when I walk through my house and I pull like a half-dead leaf off my plant, I can't help but thinking about her doing that. Um, she and her skills impacted me in a way that I'm talking about decades later. And so as we're skillful in our work, we're not trying to impress those that are around us. But what it does is it gives us influence for the around us, with those that are around us. So Joseph, Esther, Daniel, these are some, some folks in the Bible, and I'm going to go kind of rapid fire and dig into these as much as you want. But Joseph ended up in a situation um, where he was in a place that he was not used to. Uh, he was being judged by a measure that he was not used to being judged by. He was being judged on his his skilled work. He was a hard worker. He was being skilled, being judged by others on how he looked. He was gracious with his speech with those that he was imprisoned with, and he was skilled in interpreting dreams. We find Esther all of a sudden is judged by her beauty a different standard of beauty than what she was raised with probably was confusing. and But she was humble in speaking with the king and bold proclaiming her truth, which was grace to her people. 
We find that Daniel is speaking up about his diet, which everyone loves to do. So it's not so out of the ordinary. You never have to ask somebody if they're on a specific diet because they want to tell you all of the things that they can and can't eat. Um, and so you never have to ask. Daniel was really no different than any of us uh, when it comes to talking about his diet. But why did he bring it up? Because he thought he was doing the right thing and he didn't want to violate his conscience in that. But he was skillful in the inter- interpretations of his dreams and his prayer life and his resolve to do the right thing. You say, well, God interpreted his dreams. And then I would come back and say, well, God has given you every single skill that you have and any good that you could ever do in your life is because God allows you to do it. I personally don't interpret dreams. I'm confused by them sometimes. Um, however, his skill here, when God was speaking to his people and speaking through his people, he still used dreams. What about when you're dropped into a place that is different, like these folks? A different standard of beauty or health, a different standard of morality, a different standard of wisdom. All of a sudden, it's really easy to judge ourselves by the current environment that we're in. And we can fake this whole speaking gracefully thing horizontally. We can use whatever life hack that we want um, to, you know, have skilled labor. We can have a, a speech that is honorable to those that were around in that moment. And we can pretend that we are living or desire a pure heart. That's really easy to fake horizontally. Um, now, over time, it'll start to reveal itself, but it's a lot easier to fake it here. Impossible to fake it vertically. It's not possible to go before God and say, hey, listen, I have a pure heart. Um, because he already said we don't have one. If you go through these, and you can come up with all kinds of scriptures that say, hey, listen, your heart's not pure. In fact, who can say my heart is clean? Like, who can say I'm without sin? And it's like, it's rhetorical. None of us, right? Like, okay, we're in, okay. Um, then, like, there is none righteous. No, not one. You're like, okay, pure heart. Uh, so then we look at kind of the next, and can I be gracious with my speech? Well, if my heart's not right, and out of the abundance of that heart is where my words come from, I'm already like strike two. And then trying to have skilled work with a heart and a mouth that does not our God, then, then you're in real trouble. So that's when we gotta like push back a little bit. We want, we want in our hearts to say, well, if this is a standard by which you want us to come to you, King, then why have you made it so difficult? Like, why is this impossible for me to do? Now, growing up, probably because I was a human skeleton of a junior hire, my parents put me into wrestling to, I'm sure, toughen me up. Obviously didn't work. Uh, however, you know, you know that you're in trouble 
when the the uniform that they give you for wrestling that's supposed to like not be able to be grabbed because it's tight is baggy, right? When your knees have a greater diameter than your thighs, you know you're just skeletor, right? Um, but one of the things uh, that my dad and I would do is we would have wrestling matches in the living room. Now, don't get get excited. This this is not WWF. So I know some of you are excited. No, this is like the high school or Olympic style, pinning somebody on their back in wrestling. And this was, you know, human skeleton versus my dad that worked in construction every day and didn't have an Achilles heel, right? There was, he didn't have a weakness. And so we would wrestle and I would throw all of my effort into it. Every move I would learn at wrestling, I would then try that, right? Every trick, uh, every ounce of my energy, I would pour into pinning my dad. And there's a couple things that I would, that I gleaned from that as a kid. And now looking back is there was every time, every time I thought in my mind, next time I'll get him. Like, the thing that I missed is now the thing that I'm going to use against him and I'll beat him next time I was so close. Not true. Wasn't even close. Uh, number two. By the way, Dad, thanks for coming today. And this is not, I'm not throwing down a challenge but any, at all. I was allowed to give my full effort Knowing, in the back of my mind, my dad would never hurt me. Like, I gave 100% of all my effort. But in the back of my mind, I know if my dad gave 100% of his effort, like, it would be bad for me. Like, my human skeleton of a body would have been broken. And I remember one last thing is every time, because this is how it ended up, Every time, every time, my dad would pin me, and because he worked in construction, didn't matter that he already took a, I w- took a shower, I would smell mortar. And now, if I smell mortar, I think of my dad, and I always look over my shoulder to see if somebody's going to try to pin me. A uh, little bit of little fear, and but taking those things away. And then looking at how I approach my king today, meaning God, my only real authority that has something to say about my life eternally, is that I can push on him as hard as I want, right? Knowing that he loves me and he's never going to destroy me, however, he's very interested in me finding out about him. Very interested. Um, so as we push on this a little bit, why would I even want to gain an audience with a king? Because in these passages, we find that Esther is risking her life and the life of her people. We find that Joseph ends up in prison. We find that Daniel and his friends end up in, you know, the lion's den and in the fire. It's like that, honestly, 
I'm not really interested in inviting myself into that environment. Um, however, so why should we approach the king? Why should it even be part of our desire is to move in that direction? One series of books that I enjoyed reading as a kid and recently got to read through with my kids is uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia series, the, the first one, and we can have a discussion later if you have a strong opinion. The first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, is one that introduces all of the characters, and or many of them, and we find the youngest of a family asking about the God figure in the story, which is represented by a lion, as you can remember if you ever read the story. Uh, but Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. Now, again, fantasy, talking animals. Safe, said Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And as we ask the question, why should I want to move forward in trying to gain an audience with a king, is because he's good. He has a love for us that allows us to function in pushing on him and learning about him and challenging him sometimes with the way that we ask questions or the way that we read scripture. Uh, but he always comes back with this loving and uh, a, a just a strength that should be inviting to us. And because he is good, because he is given. So we look at purity of heart. And we know that we don't have any ability to be righteous we're good in ourselves, but he's given the gift of Christ. And so we approach the throne, and in the gift that God has given, he says, I want you to come to me. I want those that are hurting and have a huge burden to come to me, and I'm going to provide that way. So as we approach the king and desire a pure heart, saying, hey, listen, I've given you a way to do that. Okay. What about the way I speak? What about the words that come out of my mouth? Well, all of a sudden, the gift that he's given through salvation is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, God is in us, and, and the things that we say all of a sudden represent who he is in us rather than who we are. And so the zinger that we might have thought of is silenced, but then we're able to see somebody with a different type of vision and we say something to them that fills them with life because we've been changed as we look at working skillfully a lot of times i view my life as my own story and my own novel in which i'm the main character right and every all media is kind of tailored to us right so we're you ever read a book or you watch a movie 
And you're like, oh, I'm like that side character over there. Very few of us will. We're always inspired by the hero of the story. We're inspired by that main character that's, that's followed. Or we see ourselves as part of that story. Well, all of a sudden, when you step back a little bit and you look at the truth of the story that's being told, if we look at Scripture and a timeline and realize that we're just an aspect of that and our motivation towards looking good in the moment suddenly dissolves away and allowing our work to be something that we offer to the king as a gift, it changes the way that we work. So that might be the way that we study or the way that we do our job or the way that we uh, raise our kids or the way that we pour into those that are around us. Whatever that skillful work is, if we're doing it for the outside of this moment reason, it changes the way that we do that. God then flips it. He then uses that person. He uses Joseph or Esther or Daniel or you to then change those that are around you. Because in approaching the king, in going to him, all of a sudden you become super attractive to those that are around you. Now, not a way that you're like brushing your hair a different way now, but you're attractive like God was attractive to you. That the, the way that he spoke to your heart and the way that he poured life into you, all of a sudden, people are just drawn to you because they're drawn to God. And the influence that we gain is used for him, and it can save those that are around us. It can change the lives of those that are around us because we've taken the time to approach the king properly in our lives. Let's pray.